Yeah, I know the, the missions trip was not exactly how we had planned it this year, but, it, but I do uh, sense that the Lord blessed uh, the team, and as we heard this morning, I uh, feel like the, the Lord really used the team. Last night, we, uh, a few of us from the church, it was our annual uh, Angels baseball game, and uh, it was an exciting game. It actually went to extra innings, and the Angels won on a uh, uh, walk-off homer, but I wasn't there to see it. <laughs> we had le- my, me and my family, we had left after uh, the eighth inning because, uh, we, because we knew it was going to be a big day today and everything. Uh, and on our way out, someone uh, who was probably like a season ticket holder whispered to me, man, it's hard to be an Angels fan. <laughs> They just, they, year after year, they struggle. And then you compare them to the Dodgers who have won, what, 13 straight now? And, uh, and so uh, a, lot, a lot of baseball fans here this morning. Uh, and, uh, and, I, and I admit we root for the Dodgers just because it's a lot easier. <laughs> it doesn't take as much spiritual perseverance, I guess. Um, but... Uh, one of the things that, whether you're a Dodger or an Angels fan, if you're a baseball fan in general, uh, you've probably heard that the longtime announcer, Vin Scully, passed away about a week or two ago. And uh, Vin Scully was uh, 94 years old and had been the announcer for the Dodgers for 67 years. And, uh, and beloved by so many. I mean, there was nobody. If you, uh, if you ever listened to a, a baseball game on the radio, there was nobody like Vin. I mean, he was the best of the best. And uh, so there's been all of these tributes uh, to, to Vin Scully. And the, my favorite one, I read an article from Sports Illustrated, and, and the title was, all that I'll read today, but the title says a lot. It says, the title of the article was, The smaller Vin Scully made himself, the larger he became. And, uh, and it almost sounds biblical, doesn't it? It almost sounds like something that Jesus would say, that the, that the smaller and the more humble we make ourselves, the larger we become because God lifts us up. Now, my understanding is that Vin Scully was a a man of humility. From everything I've heard, he always tried to lift others up. And from what I understand, uh, Vin was a man of faith. Uh, And uh, as a man of faith, as a person of humility, it it leads us into our sermon today. We're going to talk about humility and pride not from the example of Vin Scully, but from the example of Jesus. Uh, But the Bible has a lot to say about humility and pride because it it can be so central to our faith. In fact, uh, an initial act of faith placing our trust in Jesus Christ is in a sense an act of humility to to declare our trust in Him that we can't do it on our own to ask Him to forgive our sins, to to come into our lives. So in this sermon, in the series, Imperfect Disciples, this is a a very important topic for us to consider. Because as we look at the example of Jesus and the imperfect disciples that were followers of His, we see this coming up over and over again. 
that with his disciples, even after they see the example of Jesus and have followed him for so long, even after the three years that they have been following Jesus, they're still wrestling with the same issue of pride and humility. And so we see it in the lives of the disciples, and it's pervasive, and it applies to us as well. Because if we, have, if we take a moment to open ourselves up to God this morning, I am confident that God has an application for every one of us. We might not even think of ourselves as prideful people, but pride is uh, so pervasive in, in the sinful nature that God has something to say to every one of them. This is an, a convicting topic, but it's also a topic that gives us tremendous inspiration and hope because humility can be such a value to us. And so to get us started this morning, I want to quote from an older writer, Andrew Murray, in a great book that I read several years ago simply by the title of Humility. It's a small little book. In fact, you may want to pick it up and read it yourself. There's so many nuggets of truth in it. But in the book, he says, the deepest humility is the secret to the truest happiness of a joy that nothing can destroy. And isn't that a, a, a point of something to seek after? The deepest humility, if we were to really experience humility in our, in our lives, before the Lord and before others, it leads to the truest happiness. You see, all of this, it doesn't quite make sense to us intellectually. It's a paradox in a sense. Like we've already talked about how we make ourselves small and it makes us large in God's kingdom. And the same will be true in humility. The, the, when we humble ourselves uh, and, and bring ourselves low, it's when God lifts us up. It's a paradox in, an upside down king, in, the, in the upside down kingdom of God. And Jesus teaches us about this in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. And so that's where we're going to be at this morning. Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verses 35 and 45. And Jesus is teaching them about the upside-down kingdom. And we're going to see how they're struggling with pride. The disciples, these imperfect disciples, they're struggling with pride. And Jesus is going to put forth this example of humility. That is a humility that we understand brings true happiness into our lives. The upside-down kingdom of, of Jesus is all over the place. And the, the more we get to know him, the more we recognize there's tremendous value in following Jesus. What doesn't make sense to the world uh, mentally, intellectually, uh, what doesn't make logical sense, actually makes perfect sense in life with Christ. In fact, it's what brings us hope and joy in ways that the world is wondering, what in the world's going on? It's because Jesus brings this value into our lives. Okay, let's look at this example in Mark 10. And I'm going to be picking up in verse 35. Mark 10, 35. Then James and John, these are two of Jesus' twelve disciples, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do whatever we ask. Isn't that a great uh, a way to enter into a conversation? Whatever we ask. And so the Lord says, well, what is it you want me to do for you, he asks. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You do not know what you're asking, Jesus said. 
Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And, it, and we're not going to get into all of this, but Jesus is beginning to... Uh, what he's referencing here is his future death on the cross, like the, the suffering that he's going to experience. Whether they understand that or not, they reply, we can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup, uh, the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized. They will all experience tremendous persecution. But to sit at my right hand or, or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those to, for whom they have been prepared. Now look at, the, this is James and John. Look at the other ten, how, what, how they respond uh, when they hear what's happening. When the, other, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them, called them t- together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you. Instead, and here's the turning point. These are the verses we're going to focus on this morning. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's go before the Lord and just ask that uh, God to be our teacher this morning. Father God, as we turn our attention to your word, uh, we, we come before you with humility. In this sermon about being humble, we come before you with humility and ask that you would teach us, that you would guide us, that you would be our Savior and our Lord and our teacher, that you would bring us into your truth, that we might be blessed by it. And so, God, we pray that you would speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing we have to do this morning is define humility. And uh, one of the simplest definitions that I've ever heard comes from the great preacher from a century ago, Charles Spurgeon, who defined humility as the proper estimate of oneself. The proper estimate of oneself. And so just in that little simple uh, definition, we understand that humility is not necessarily thinking too low of ourselves. Where we think of ourselves as a doormat and, and we think nothing of ourselves. Humility is not to say, I'm nothing, I'm worthless, I'm garbage. Because it ignores the fact that we are created in the image of God and loved by Him. We are to be uh, humble, but we are to think properly of ourselves in light of what God thinks of us. It is not to think too low of ourselves, and it's definitely not to think too high of ourselves. That would be pride, that we think of ourselves as greater than we are, or especially greater in comparison to uh, other people, and look at ourselves with what we have accomplished, finding our worth and value in that. No, to have a proper estimate of ourselves is to see ourselves in light of how God sees us. Not comparing ourselves to others or letting others determine our worth and value. Pride compares ourselves to others and seeks to lift ourselves up uh, uh, compared to others. But humility looks to Jesus and lets the truth of God determine our worth and value. And so humility, in light of all of this, keeps us depending upon God and not on ourselves. 
or our own ability or our own strength, but we let God pour out his love and mercy upon us unconditionally because that is what we, ha- because that is what we have in Jesus, that we, we are saved not by what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us as his beloved children. So that's how Charles Spurgeon defines humility. Now he goes on to talk about, in this same sermon that I'm referencing, he goes on to talk about pride. And when it comes to pride, he does not sugarcoat things. He says pride is a brainless thing, the maddest thing that can exist. He says so foolish to be pride when we truly understand who we are before God. And yet we know that all of us, in one way or another, can struggle with pride as we have said, because we live in a world that compares and competes. And we have a sinful nature that wants to lift ourselves up above those around us. And even though in this passage, the disciples had, now at this point, followed Jesus for three years. It's towards the end of his earthly ministry. And they have heard his teachings. They've seen the way that he interacted with the humblest of people, children especially, They've heard his behind-closed-doors personal instructions. They've watched Jesus. They've seen humility on full display, yet they are still most concerned with me, myself, and I. That's what we see here. uh, James and John come to Jesus with a request that it says they come in secret because the request is so embarrassing that it would be that they'd be embarrassed to utter it out in full public. They say, we want to be number one and number two in your kingdom. They said, well, let one of us sit at your right hand and one at your left hand in glory. You see, they recognize that Jesus is great. They they have already uh, said that Jesus is the Messiah, and the understanding in the first century that the Messiah would eventually take his throne as ruler and as king. James says, I want to be the VP, and John says, I want to be the the Secretary of State. We want number one and number two. Now, they say this in secret, and when the other ten hear of it, they become indignant, not because James and John haven't got it. What are you guys thinking? Haven't you heard Jesus' teaching on humility? No, they become indignant because they think, I wanted that position. They have just as much pride as James and John. They want the positions of power. They want the prideful positions. And so we read these stories and we, and we point the finger and say, you knuckleheads, you should have got it by now. Haven't you heard his teaching? Haven't you seen his example? But before we point the finger too quick, it's always wise to turn around and examine our own hearts and to see, is there pride that can sneak up in our own hearts. And I would say, let's just take a minute and be humble in our own, in our own thoughts and recognize that the answer will be yes. So I ask you, how are you humbling yourself by following Jesus? Do you humbly serve others in the way that Jesus told us to serve others? Do you have pride that sneaks up into your own heart? Do you fall into the trap of comparing yourself with others or wanting to have those positions or those rights of of privilege that, 
that serve our own desires, our own needs, our own wants. And even though we might not argue openly like the disciples did about who was the greatest, we can engage in these thoughts in our own minds, that internal conversation where we, think, where we compare ourselves to others. And, uh, and we want to be thought well of. We want to be praised. We might not want the position of power, but we want all of the things that come with it. And pride is a constant temptation. In fact, there is nothing that could probably keep us from the blessings of Jesus as much as a prideful heart. Jonathan Edwards says, Nothing sets a person so much out of the devil's reach as humility. And so if pride keeps us from the blessings of God, uh, humility can keep us out of the devil's reach and open us up to the blessings of God. And so... I tried to think of these things in my own life before I get up to preach and have applied them to my own life. And, I, and as I wrestled with this, I, I tried to think, am I a prideful person? Well, I actually don't think of myself as a prideful person. I don't think of myself as always being filled with pride and thinking my, of myself as uh, compared to others. But I do recognize that, you know, oftentimes these same tendencies can rise up in my own heart. You know, I stand up here to preach every week, and I recognize that sometimes my desire is to look uh, good in front of the, in the eyes of those that I am preaching to, to, in front of you, when my concern ought to be to look good in the eyes of God. You know, I want to be thought of as, I want to be thought well of, and it is not easy to have those servant-hearted attitudes. And so we think of these things for ourselves, and we can think, man, I've got a long ways to go. But thankfully, when we turn back to the passage, thankfully we see that Jesus is merciful and gentle. When we read this passage, I'm, I'm actually quite astonished at the way that Jesus reacts to James and to John. Like, part of me would uh, think that Jesus wants to lay down the hammer and think, you guys should have it by now. But, uh, but he, he doesn't rip into them in the way that you'd, we'd almost think he would. In fact, he speaks to the disciples with such tenderness, such compassion. Verse uh, 42, it says that Jesus called them to him. Even that, it doesn't say he's holding them at a distance holding them at arm's length, thinking, what are you guys doing? No, he, he pulls them into his presence. In a sense, he wants to share with them a greater amount of his love. And then the first thing he does is not rip them a new one, but he actually affirms them in their desire. He affirms them in their desire to be great, but then he redefines greatness. He says in verse 43, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. You see, Jesus wants to be us to be great. In fact, he wants us to be great in his kingdom, but uh, he, he redefines greatness not in how we, uh, 
how we compare to others or finding ourselves in light of what others think of us, he turns our attention. He says, let's, let's focus our greatness in being great in the kingdom of God. And this, is, and this is what he gets to. Here's the application for us. Who do you want to be great before? Do you want to be great in, in, in the eyes of your friends or your coworkers? Do you want to be great in the eyes of the parents of the kids that your friends are friends with, like constantly comparing your family to the other family or yourself to the others? Do you want to be great in the eyes of your boss or your coworkers? Are you trying to impress your parents or impress someone even at the church? And so why are you so concerned about what others think about you? Would you not rather be great in the eyes of God? See, God should be our audience of one. Paul says, fix your eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. And so as people of followers of Christ with attitudes of humility, we are to fix our eyes on the one who is unseen, to seek to be great in his eyes. As I said, I sometimes fall into that trap of wanting to be seen as a good leader, a good pastor, a good communicator, a good preacher. And God pointed out a verse to me uh, several years ago that has meant a lot for me, and I just, I pass this along to you this morning. It's another teaching of Jesus, and I'll I'll read it in the translation that uh, I first read it many years ago. This is John 5, 44. Jesus says, How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, Yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God. That verse means, that me, that verse means a lot to me. I, I see a lot in that verse. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another and yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? If we could all just let that sink within our own hearts, it lifts a huge burden off of our shoulders. If we could seek to uh, be released of the desire to receive praise from one another and just fix our hearts and our minds on the desire to receive praise that comes from the only God. Because the only God looks upon us and he looks upon us with tremendous kindness and gentleness He loves us so much. If we could just find our value and our worth and our praise from the only God, it's a huge relief. You see, God longs to pour out his blessings upon us. I'm a visual learner, so uh, I'll do something here that maybe have helped some of you. I've got three cups and uh, this one, if you can see it, has a line uh, towards the bottom of the cup and these little X's on the bottom of the cup, this represents the person that has tremendous humility. Now, this is like the person in the middle, just struggling with these things, some humility, some pride. And, uh, and then this last one, the X's on the top of the cup, that's the very prideful person, the, th- the person that thinks very highly of himself or herself. This is the prideful person. Now, this blue water, and I colored it blue because I thought, you're not going to be able to see this uh, from the back of the room if it's clear water. So, so this, this blue water, this re- represents all of God's blessings. 
what he wants to pour out into our lives. His grace, his mercy, his love, all of the blessings. And, uh, and that gets poured out into each of us. Even in the prideful person, God's blessings get poured out. And, uh, and so in the prideful person, you know, they, they, get the, they get the blessings, but unfortunately it just seems to be the, the, the experience of it, I'll say, gets to be a little bit out of reach. They don't get to experience all that God has for them. Now, I see there's little droplets up here, and they'll get a taste of it every once in a while, but the full blessing of God does not, uh, does not rest so easily in the prideful person. Now, you know where I'm going with this, but the, the person that's a little bit more humble gets a little bit more of God gets to experience a little bit more of God's blessing, but the person that is, that is completely humble just gets to swim in it, gets to experience all of the grace and the mercy of, of, and the blessings of God because they, they have aligned their lives with God's will. Christian writer F.B. Meyer says, I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves, one above another. The taller we grow, the easier we reach them. Now I find that God's gifts are on shelves, and the lower we stoop, the more we get. And I think that that's kind of what I'm trying to illustrate here. The more that we are able to humble ourselves before God and before others, the more we get to experience all of God's blessing. You see, that is motivation in and of itself to say, God, please help me to put pride to death in my life. And help me to live uh, in humility that I'd be able to receive all that you have for me. It's a life of surrender. It's a life of trust and dependence upon him. It's a life of laying aside the burden of worrying about what others think and just fixing our minds and our hearts on Jesus Christ. And to live in that humility begins to open up doors to experience all of God's blessings. Like we get to swim in it down here. Because we've, because we've come down into a low place. does not mean that we think worthless of ourselves. It means we think of ourselves in light of, how, of who God is to us and who he says we are. The greatest example, as we have said, of humility is Jesus himself. And that's where Jesus points us to in the last verse of this passage. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus uh, looks to himself and he says, look at my example, the Son of Man. If anyone came to be served, if anyone has room for pride, it's Jesus himself. But he says, even I, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. As the kids would say, he's the goat, the greatest of all time right? He's the greatest of all time when it comes to humility, and he's our example. He's uh, the one that we want to look for. Now, that idea of the giving our lives as a ransom for many is also comforting in the fact that when we find ourselves in pride and living in our, in a, in our own pride and the sinfulness, Jesus has paid the price. And so as we uh, wrestle with this and we try to apply it to our lives, we're not uh, heaping greater burdens on ourselves. It is to release them to the Lord and say, thank you that you've forgiven me of all my pride and my selfishness and my self-centeredness and focused on what others think of me. Thank you that you've forgiven me of all of that. And now help me to just rest in that. 
And asking God for forgiveness, as I said at the beginning, is the first and most basic act of humility that opens us up to getting to experience all of this. So that's the sermon on humility. Now let's, uh, now let's apply it to our lives. How do we pursue humility? Well, in the final minutes here, I have three points of application. How to become humble. Number one, you can't by yourself. Okay, you, you can't work up humility by yourself or you're just going to become more prideful. You're going to be prideful in, how, in the fact that you're so humble. You can't. It's a work of God right? And so it starts with prayer. It starts coming before God and say, God, I can't do this on our own, but that's not on my own, but that's not the type of person I want to be. And asking for him to help us to humble ourselves before him. We place ourselves before God in our own helplessness and consent to the fact that you are powerless to put pride to death You give yourself in patient and trustful surrender to God. So the first step of humility is to recognize you can't do it on your own. You need God. And then you recognize that God brings all kinds of things into your life, some of which are humble circumstances, things that we don't like that happen to us, but we receive them with, with gratitude as a gift from God to say, thank you, God, that you're keeping me humble. Thank you, God, that you're keeping me grounded in my relationship with you. So you can't by yourself. And secondly, you exalt Christ in your heart and your life. The second way we, be, we, we grow in humility is simply by, by trying to make Jesus greater in our lives. F.B. Meyer, I quoted him a moment ago. I'll do it again. The only hope of, de- of a decreasing self is an increasing Christ. Let me read that one more time. The only hope of a decreasing self is an increasing Christ. And so we exalt God in our lives. We pursue him with all our hearts. We, we seek to grow in our relationship with him. And, uh, and we seek to exalt Christ in our hearts and our lives. And then the third uh, way that we pursue humility is what Jesus teaches us here in this passage, and that is to serve others. Jesus says, if we want to be humble, serve others. And so we become a servant of all. It starts in in the home. You might serve your husband or your wife. And it starts in those that you just have daily interaction with. Those, your friends, your neighbors, your your co-workers. You, You go out of your way to try to adopt an attitude of service to to one another. We can serve in the church. In fact, sometimes we, uh, we come almost uh, just pleading with, we need servants, we need people to minister. And, and in a sense, it's not just so we can fill ministry positions, but it's an opportunity for you to grow closer to the Lord because to serve the Lord is a blessing. And so I encourage you to, to find a place to serve in your, in your home, in your community, and in the church. If everyone had a place to serve in the church, it would do your soul a lot of good. So we can serve in the welcome ministry, serve in the, in the uh, food and fellowship ministry. In fact, I think one of the best places to serve might be the children's ministry because Jesus used children as an example for humility, right? 
If we could just serve the, the least of these, starting with our, our little kids, what a blessing that would be to help us just grow in humility. When we serve, we are slowly putting, death to, uh, putting pride to death and opening the doors of humility, which, as we have said, opens up the truest happiness in our lives. So that's how we seek humility. We, one, say we can't. By yourself, we exalt Christ and we serve others. Now, if you uh, put those in a row, you recognize there's an acronym, Y-E-S. Yes! Okay? (laughs) Now, that was of the Lord because I'm not clever enough to think of that on my own. Uh, but yes, and so, I'll, so we say, can we be humble? Yes. Can we put pride to death? Yes. Can we have humility? Yes. The holiest are always the humblest. And we pursue humility by just exalting Christ and saying, God, I can't do it on my own. And so I trust in you and I'll serve one another. As we close today, God affirms in us our desire to be great. That's a wonderful thing. May God give us the desire to be great, to pursue him and his kingdom. But he redefines greatness in this way, that if we want to be great in the kingdom of God, then we humble ourselves and we, and we serve one another. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. First of all, God, I thank you for Jesus, that in humility he laid aside all the glories of heaven and came to this earth to be born a baby in a manger and uh, lived a very humble life his whole existence uh, on earth, never had a home of his own, uh, never never gathered around him people of power and privilege, but he lived a a humble life, and he gave us the example of how to live humbly. He died the humblest of all kinds of death, the death on a cross. And so, God, we look at him as our our example, and we recognize that that's that's an example we cannot obtain on our own. And so we thank you that you have done the work on our behalf. We thank you that you have forgiven our sins and then that you have given us instructions in how to be a follower of yours. Imperfect as we are, an imperfect disciple, you give us guidance. And so, God, I pray for each person here right now. And I pray that you might just impress upon them before we leave today just one application. Perhaps it's a It's a way that they can exalt Christ in their heart and in their life. Perhaps it's a a person that they can serve. Perhaps it's a ministry they can serve in or something they can do in their community. But God, just in light of the the promise that's held out before us that, that the life of humility is the best life possible, a life that leads to the truest happiness, God, I pray that you would help us to take the word that you have spoken to us this morning and apply it to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite the prayer counselors to come forward now. And uh, as we prepare to sing our last song uh, 
this morning. Our prayer counselors, it's a blessing to have them here every week because it's an opportunity just to receive uh, prayer uh, for whatever is going on in our lives. And uh, sometimes it takes a little bit of humility to even come forward and, uh, and to receive that prayer. And that's a wonderful thing because humility is a gift. And uh, so I just invite you, if you are here this morning, and say, that would be a blessing to me. Uh, uh, come forward and receive prayer this morning. Let's stand as we sing our last song.